podcast. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. The podcast has had over 1 million plays and that's all thanks to you. For the holidays, I bring you the best of series for 2023, the most listened to and loved episodes. If you enjoy the podcast, you can review it on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts or drop me a line on social media. This episode is brought to you by Gin & Co, author website design specialists. If you want a beautiful and functional website to promote your books and brand, reach out to Jin today. His work includes tailored, expertly designed, professional author websites. I finally have a website I'm proud to share. And we've got a special offer for Words and Nerds listeners. Reach out today and get a free domain name and website hosting for the first year. You can get their website essentials package, includes domain name, website hosting, backup and security, free for the first year with any website purchase. This is valued at $330 a year. Choose a website designed to bring your author brand to life. You can find more details about this special offer at ginand.co forward slash words and nerds. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny B. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm uh. feeling sick. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears. Today, I'm super excited to welcome Rove McManus, one of the most recognisable faces in Australian comedy. Starting his career in stand-up, Rove went on to create one of the most successful talk shows in Australian TV history, Rove Live. He went on to present two series of his own, Rove LA, while also holding down his own segment on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, Rove Across America. Rove has scored three gold logies and roving enterprises is one of the most prolific producers of television with the nightly news show the project rove is also a successful children's author and today we're going to talk about his new picture book the book that grown-ups get wrong the book the grown-ups get wrong is rove's fifth children's book and promises to deliver an interactive experience between child and grown-up that was a huge bio rove welcome Thank you, Danny. There's a, that's a lot to live up to, I think. <laughs> it's just nice to um, think that that uh, this is book number five. It's, I know, it's, um, right? Of all the things that do get mentioned in that very long introduction, the the uh, writing and especially for me, the illustrating um, of these books is is something that I was very excited to get to do when I was asked, mm. and and it's one of those parts of my creative self that I get very excited by. So, um, yeah, to, to think that this is number five is really cool. It is really exciting. And you're in the right place because that's all we're going to talk about today, books and illustrating, because that's what we're here for. Come right <laughs> you come to the right place. Now, before we get onto that, the obvious question, I just listed all these amazing things that you can do. I want a bit of a sneak peek into the Rove McManus. What's something you can't do? Oh, um, I'm not a great cook. 
Okay, good. Um, <laughs> not very good at that. Um, and uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I look, I'm, I'm not very coordinated. My wife would, would probably say that, <laughs> which unfortunately I've passed on to my daughter. So my wife will be in the house, and just from somewhere else in another room, she'll just hear this sort of almighty crash. And then she just calls out, which one of you was that? <laughs> I love that. So, stairs. Yeah, I kind of, I think it's, I tried to move too quickly through mm-hmm. life. Yes. And because of that, and I've got a weird foot that I think that splays out a little bit. So um, it causes me to trip up quite a bit. I was about to say that, is it, you know, because obviously you are so talented and have so many things going on, is it a bit of the brains moving faster than the body and the is that yes. where the clumsiness comes from? It's yeah. absolutely that. And, again, I think our daughter has that too where her her mind is going faster than everything else. So mm. it means her handwriting is terrible. It means that uh, she doesn't focus well on things because she's too busy, you know, she's meant to be brushing her teeth and she's actually singing a, a song that she's making up on Perfect. the spot. So um, there's a lot of just focus on the task at hand and then you can do <laughs> the other thing afterwards, which I must admit I am guilty of as well. Mm, so, mm. Um, I heard it explained but, as having a Ferrari brain with bicycle brakes and that is the best way, I think, to describe one of those brains. <laughs> wow, that's a that's a I've never heard that before. Great. That's fantastic. <laughs> So that's that's my excuse. You can use that as well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, the books that grown-ups get wrong, absolutely loved it. Hit me with an elevator pitch. Oh, right. Well, it's um, it's exactly what it says on the cover. This is a book where I challenge any grown-up to read it to any child and get it right. It's impossible to do. <laughs> and, um, yeah, you can tell by the the simple frog on the cover, you'll think, oh, well, I can I can get through this book. Well, I'm telling you right now, it's just absolutely impossible. Can't be done. That's I love my challenge. It. I love it. I love how it's kind of that interactive, you know, it says it promises this interactive experience because mm-hmm. I always think that picture books, they're more than picture books because you remember when you read them to your kids at night to put them to bed. And I almost think they're kind of little time capsules, you know, and whenever you see one of those picture books that you read to your kids, you kind of remember, you, you sort of, you know, gone back in time and remember those little moments with your child. So is that sort of what you wanted to create, something really special between parents? Yeah, and um, it's it's hopefully empowering for the child in the situation as well. But that's the main aim is exactly that. It's it's a book that's made to be read with uh, an adult and, and a child um, and with the hope that there's, humor involved as well obviously because the the basic premise is the way that the book is written it intentionally trips up the grown-up reading the book that they are calling things by the wrong name they're having to say silly things out loud and especially for younger readers there's that wonderful joy they get in going that's not what it is it's this (laughs) and you know it's something I think as an adult, you learn very early on that it's just a simple way to get a laugh from a kid um, where you'd say, right, you know, it's time to put your pyjamas on and then, you you know, you take their um, pyjama pants. You say, right, well, put your hand in here. And they go, no, that's just my foot. Oh, that's right. Sorry, yes, your foot. And then, well, this is, we'll put this, uh, put your arm in the, the leg here. No, that's not how it goes. It's all that fun that comes from the child feeling that they know better 
and then the uh, adult able to get laughs out of playing the fool. And that's pretty much the foundation for this book. Mm, I love that. And it allows adults to lean into that silliness as well, because adult, you know, adulting serious business, right? And sometimes I think we can get a bit lost in all that serious adult stuff. So coming right back, you know, having your own kids as I do as well, and then reading the picture books, you can really lean into that silliness and, and, you know, that spark of joy that kids give you and only kids can give you. Yeah. And, and, for better or worse, it is one that that it's a it's a double act. There's you 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 could give it to a child and have them read it on their own, but it's it's not the same. The the intent mm. is meant to be it's for an age group where you are still reading with the child, which is one of my things that I miss now that my daughter is older. She's now nine and a half. Um, she's doing a lot more reading on her own, yeah. and. We, we still do read together on occasion and uh, as a family, but um, for the most part, she it's her waking up in the morning and before she gets up out of bed, she's she's got a pile of books next to her on the floor and she's devouring them. And then we usually read again um, at night before she goes to bed, but invariably she's just reading on her own and then we'll read with her mm. for what we're reading. So this is something that, I, I was intentionally hoping to sort of just bring those moments back of of what I really looked back fondly on were those early days of when she was too young to read and uh, I got as much fun and enjoyment and fulfilment out of reading to her as I do now the fact that she does it on her own. So I just wanted to tap into that as best mm-hmm. I could and maybe for those um, adults, grown-ups, parents, guardians who who don't otherwise do that, that this is an incentive to get them in there. Yeah, I love that. And I love how you still read even to your nine-year-old because I just think kids, even, you know, older kids love being read to, even if they don't know it. I, I taught high school for a very long time and I used to always just spend some time even reading to your 12 kids and it's kind of amazing how much they're like, oh, this is actually, like it was kind of relaxing and they enjoyed it. And I think, you know, storytelling from way back is oral. So I think we sometimes mm. forget about that. That's a very good point. Yeah, and for me there's... There's a performative aspect to it as well. (laughs) I love doing voices. Um, My poor wife uh, has often been um, felt the negative sting from our daughter when I'm away, (laughs) especially when she was younger, to say, uh, you know, let's read. And and Ruby, our daughter, would say, no, 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 that's okay. You know, daddy daddy does the voices better. So I prefer it when she reads. But it's it's a show. We did... Harry Potter, we did the Harry Potter series um, maybe two years ago, reading a chapter a night of all of the books wow. and just over 12 months to get through all mm-hmm. uh, seven. And um, that was, yeah, putting on a show every night, playing multiple characters. And for me, that was as enjoyable as as sitting and enjoying the, the books again mm-hmm. and going through the actual story and um, which I hadn't read since I was you know, in my, well, I guess 20s, 30s back then. So, um, yeah, so that was a real thrill. But that that to me is part of what uh, the books that grown up, the books that grown ups get wrong does is it somehow manages when you when you read it to to bring that side of you out in just the way that it's written, the playfulness, the silliness of the words, the 
the um uh, the font was also a big a big yep. decision the simplicity of the colors and the the splashy fonts when when one of the silly phrases that the grown up is made to say comes up on the page um all of that i hope just brings that performance element out it's it's hard not to that's the other dip, the other challenge of this book apart from not getting it wrong which is purely in the text <laughs> i also would challenge anyone to read it and not find that they do invest somewhat in in making it a bit more ridiculous by adding a silly voice or two yeah i love that what was your favorite voice when you were reading harry potter oh i enjoyed my uh, i enjoyed doing dumbledore although i did you're sort of doing um it's hard not to slip into just what the the movie mode is, but um, <laughs> give us an example the, of Rove uh, doing double. A Richard door. Harris sort of like um, Harry Potter. <laughs> um, <you're laughs> Fifty points to Hufflepuff. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. It's actually and, really uh, good. More than the the, um, the Brian Gambon version, which I think many fandom would agree with anyway. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's quite. It was it was a lot of fun. It was, um, and then uh, Ruby, our daughter, would pick up as the books progressed. She enjoyed doing the um, uh, characters as well. She kind of got into oh, it and great. wanted to do as as you found which characters she liked. Ginny Weasley was one of her favourites. That she would, you know, she would ask, oh, "Could I read the the next chapter and do?" Or can I in, when we start the next book? Could I do that mm-hmm. this character or could I do that character? So some of them she would. Um, want to do and, and nominate herself for. Uh, Winky the house elf was one that she Oh, Winky's do. great. That would be a great voice to do. Yeah, and because <laughs> that character doesn't otherwise exist in the films, it was great that she could just go wherever she mm. wanted to do it. Um, so, you know, my Dobby still had to be very much like this, Mr Harry Potter, sir. <laughs> but um, she could do Winky however she wanted to, so that was really lovely. That's fantastic. I'm so glad we've delved into this and I've got the, the rogue version of Harry Potter. Not what I expected, <laughs> but it's great. Yes. So um, <laughs> if uh, the next re-release is out and they need someone for the audio books, I'll put up my hand. Well, you could do two characters already just from what I've heard. There we yeah. go. That's, this is my audition piece. That's all That's all I'm here for. <laughs> we'll put it out. We're good. <laughs> now, you illustrated this book as well, and I was going through your bio going, oh, my God, not only did you write it, you illustrated it. So tell me the process or your process of writing illustrating do they work together do you write then do you illustrate how does it work um usually it's in this case surprisingly it was text first so this was going to be um a different idea when I first went into Scholastic I had a little bag of tricks of here's some ideas I've got um initially there was a fully written and illustrated disgusting McGross face which which um I just had some simple drawing black and white drawings of but had the whole thing written out like a small book so it was in a like a sketch pad so you could turn the pages and so that was all sorted out uh then there was my Rocky Lobstar series which um again was more of a that was a a premise based on the character so I just sort of had sketches of each of them and it was just more of a verbal pitch and then one of the other ideas I had was was this, but it was I won't say exactly what it was because there's still a chance it could end up <laughs> sure. becoming that. But it was basically what we call in the comedy business a hat on a hat. So it's like if you have a funny idea, but then you add something else to it that really doesn't do anything more to it. It's just making it a bit more confusing and you're just over overworking it basically. So it's the idea of all well, the funny idea and then you you put a hat on it makes it funny. 
And then, but if you put another one on, it's just an unnecessary addition. So that's what this idea was. That one was much more based on the the imagery of it. So basically, without giving too much away, it was a book you were trying to read. Excuse me. The idea was you were trying to read a book, but there was an external character that kept messing with it. Um, and so that was really and was driven by one of the characters in the book kind of going, hang on, this isn't how the story's meant to go. But it was a bit too convoluted. And so I put that to the side and then thought about, well, what am I, what am I trying to get out of this? Oh, it's whoever's reading the book is then saying ridiculous things when they're meant to be telling a story. And that's one of the things I would improvise. Like I would often when my daughter was younger, we would we would read books and I just I add lines in, in there that aren't meant to be in there and <laughs> things like that for some of them and uh create characters with the with the text. And so that's where I sort of went initially with this. It was really more about what am I trying to get the person to say? Because the illustrations themselves are quite simple. It's a very mm-hmm. simple the whole premise is it's a simple drawing of a frog what is this? And then the text is making you say something completely different. So the drawings, as I went to do the illustrations, I went, oh, these are actually, <laughs> these are not as thrilling as the writing part. The drawing <laughs> was just like, um, it's just a frog. Initially, the frog the, the, the frog that you see on the, the cover was more of a mainstay character, like the frog you saw the, the the smiley happy frog and then when it initially is called a hot dog riding a skateboard, you see it kind of looking quizzically almost at the, the person reading the, the book out loud. And then in the next page, you would see like the, the frog was storming off the page in disgust. Um, and it was kind of just a bit of a running joke that there was this frog who kept trying to come back and go, just call me what I am. But again, it just felt too, too much and talking through the talking through it with the publisher um she too said yeah i think we just need to keep the drawing simple and just make the text do all the work whereas for something like rocky lobster my my other series that's really all about the images it's like i i see it in my head first almost like a a cartoon or a, or a comic book and then I take that scene that I am playing out in my head with these animated characters and then I write it out as text. So it's each book is approached differently. Yeah. And surprisingly, this one, it was really more about the text than the illustrations. So um, but that is part of what I a, a part of what I do in my books that I'm most proud of is the fact that there are plenty of people like me out there that have come into the children's book world. Um, but none of them are doing the the pictures as well. Mm. Have you always illustrated? Yeah, that was first and foremost. Wow. That's what I did. I would, okay. um, I would sit in my room and I would draw. That's mm-hmm. what I would do. I'd have to be told by my mum to go outside and, and run around with my family and friends and uh, get out and do some sort of physical activity because I loved to draw and I just was self-taught, I think. Um, my grandmother was a painter, but she was more of a, like, landscape artist um, just as a hobby. Um, but for for me, it was I would watch the TV shows that I liked and I would almost, 
you know, break down the shapes of the characters and how they worked. And then I would copy them onto, onto paper. And then from that, you sort of learn how to teach yourself to do eyes and mouths and hands. And, and then you can start just doing it on your own. So as long as I can remember, I've been able to draw. Wow. And very early on in my life, I thought that's where I would end up was being a cartoonist or an animator or something like that. And it just eventuated that I got into uh, performing, but that was never really the intent. So um, I'm very pleased that now I get to show this side of me that that most people probably don't even know that I have. Yeah, I love that. And how do you think all those different creative pursuits feed each other? You know, performance is obviously different to illustrating, different to writing, but how do they all feed into one another? Well, for a book like this, it's it's a good it's a good example because um, the illustrations are there. So firstly, you go, well, what's the idea? The i that that creative side of you that that any author has, any writer has, any creative has, which is what's the idea and where do I go with it? So once that kicks in, it's like, okay, so the premise is someone's reading a book and the book is forcing them to say the wrong thing. Okay, well, what can you say that's wrong? If you're looking at a picture of a frog, what's the most, you know, rather than say it's a it's a drawing of a frog but you're going to call it a, a hat or something, well, that's not really that entertaining. You want to try to get a laugh out of it. So then that sort of comedic side of me comes into it mm. where it's like, well, what's a funny thing you could say? What's a ridiculous idea? Well, it's a hot dog riding a skateboard. Um, so that sort of then feeds itself to then uh, snowball from there because you have to up the ante every time. So as the book progresses, Obviously, if you're getting it wrong in the early goings with something as ludicrous as a hot dog on a skateboard, well, where do you go next? And and when people get the book, they'll see that at one point it builds to like a double page spread of like a huge, um, it's really one sentence. I was intentionally trying to make sure it was one sentence, but it 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 fills two pages of ridiculous <laughs> concepts yeah. with a, you know, there's a pirate singing a sea shanty and a, and a reference to my friend uh, who is actually a ninja and named Dave. So he got a <laughs> shout out. Um, so, it, it, uh, so yeah, so then that's the comedic side into coming into it. And as you're thinking that phrase through in your head, you can't help but almost start to perform it. So there's that outlet mm -hmm, for me mm -hmm. as well. Um, and then the illustration side of it is, okay, well, the smaller and simpler that I make all of these illustrations, the more funny it would be, which is also part of the idea of taking away this frog that suddenly starts looking at you like it's quite mad and storming off in protest. Well, again, that's coming back to that hat on a hat idea. Well, now, well, hang on. Well, what, what are we trying to do to be funny here? Is it the, mm -hmm. is it the um, illustrations that are trying to be funny or is it the reading of the book that's meant to be funny? So let's just do that. Cause at one point, Throughout the, the the book, the um, whoever this fictitious author is that's writing it and and talking to the the child because that was the other um, hurdle I had to work around was okay. So who are we? Who's talking to who here? <laughs> so it's the whoever the the mysterious author is is basically saying this is a book that grownups get wrong which I know is really awkward because there's one talking, reading it to you right now, right? And I know they're doing well right now, but trust me, they always, always, always get it wrong. So that's 
the voice of the author talking through the adult to the child reading the book. And I had to keep that in mind when ridiculous things are being said, that's the adult. And then it comes back to the author going, hang on, what did they just say? That's not right. You know better than they do. So that was something I had to work around because at one point as the they start to up the ante a bit, I had a thought of as, as this fictitious author decides how do we fix this, it, it starts to say, right, well, maybe if we put a ridiculous picture on there, that will stop them saying something ridiculous. But then I thought that's not where it needs to be. It needs to stay, keep the illustration simple, send the text into a ridiculous space. And so, yeah, I guess that way it did kind of bring in all the, and then that's almost like the producer part of my brain going. Okay, I love that. Uh, all right, so this is how this needs to work to, to make mm. sense properly. So, yeah, as you say, it does bring in all these different elements of all these different creative sides. And sometimes it's about allowing one to shine. And in this case, it was about it's not trying to do amazing, ridiculous drawings like I did in Disgusting McGrossface, my other book where it's like him standing in a sea of underpants or <laughs> eating a pile of worms and it's all messy and disgusting and fun and big and loud in the in the illustrations. This I had to pull that part back so there's also a little bit of that self-discipline to go, no, this one's about the text and the illustrations can shine somewhere else. Mm, I love that. And so you, I love the way you're talking about, you know, the hat on the hat or the unexpectedness. Is this how you write stand-up comedy? So I love stand-up comedy. I'm so fascinated and intrigued. You know, when you, you see someone and you they make observations about life, but then even though some things they say are really true, it, you haven't thought about it in that way. And I think that's such the beauty of stand-up comedy. So how do you approach writing stand-up? Well, it's a similar premise really to this. It's it's the, the best comedy is, is the misdirect. Mm. So I think you think we're headed in one direction, and then I loop around and and the punchline hits you <laughs> a blind side because because you weren't expecting it. If you can see it coming, it's not funny. Okay, yeah. Um, there was a simple joke I used to do when um, when we were pregnant, where <laughs> seems a bit dark now. <laughs> it was <laughs> ten years ago. I love that. Uh, ten years ago, translate. I, I, I did a, a show where I was like, "Well, you may." Uh, I was on at I was on stage at the Sydney Opera House hosting the Just for Laughs Gala, which is a big international um, comedy night. And I said, "Oh, I've got a bit of an announcement to make. Some of you might know this anyway, but um, I um, I uh, I have. Uh, I'm very pleased to announce that I have. And at the time, I I. Uh, didn't want to give away the gender of our child, but I said, oh, I, I have a little boy. And the crowd just kind of erupted like, oh, my God, he's telling us the gender of his child. No one knows that yet. This is really huge. And I hadn't expected that sort of reaction for it. So they thought I, they were having a moment. I said, I just need you to know that I have a little boy. And then when the applause died, died down, I said, and when the parents find out that he's missing, they're probably going to call the police. <laughs> So it's that idea of when you say, um, you know, I have, I ha like when you say I have a, a, a boy, I, I have a baby, when you realise, well, that's like, yeah, it's it's that same um, turn of phrase that you would say, you know, if you were taking something. There's another comedian called Carl Barron used to have a wonderful joke, which was um, 
when someone coming up to him in a cafe and saying, would you, would you care for a glass of water? And his, his response was, well, yeah, if it needed me to. <laughs> so, so that's, that's just a very simple setup punchline comedy premise of mm-hmm. it's a turn of phrase that when you, you're sending it out there, it's not expected. Now it backfired on me because in that case, the audience kind of felt really crushed. Like, oh, we thought you were telling us something really special for anyone who's in this room and it turns out it's not a just a comedian. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the same way I approach my books is that I'm always looking for a punchline. Like it's mm. not just, and that's the end. Yeah. Like I'm either looking for a clever twist or a punchline. And that to me is the biggest difficulty. Um, especially when I write chapter books like Rocky Lobster, it's like I almost feel like I need a punchline or a zinger or a, yep. um, at the end of a scene or a paragraph and I will go back and read something and I'll say it's just not funny enough, uh, this needs to be cleverer and sometimes I do feel I've overcooked sometimes when for a, like it was um, my daughter came up she, to me the other day asking about um will there be another, you know, will there be a Rocky Lobster 3 and what might happen? And then she was asking about um, some of the characters in there and there's a a fortune teller uh, machine and uh, he, and there's another character by the name of, of Tina and she's in charge of promoting the show. And there's a line in the book that's like she's in charge of, promotions which is not to be confused with the fortune teller who's in charge of premonitions and that's not a bad little play on words but if you're eight years old she's nine now but she was looking at it going yeah what's what's he in charge of again I said premonitions I said do you know what premonitions are and she said no I was like yeah right that was maybe I was being too clever for my own good it's a funny line if you're an adult reading that book but this isn't like a Pixar film where mm. an adult and child will go and enjoy it together. These books are more for the child to read on their own. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I need to take that into consideration when I'm um, writing jokes like that because I do feel like, well, it needs to be funny. It needs to be funny. And there's other ways to do that rather than being too clever with your wordplay. Mm, you've got a great opportunity now with your nine-year-old, though, to test all your work. She's very harsh Well, critic. to be honest, she's... She's a, a a good yardstick yeah. for for things like yeah you know, in in this current book in the book that grown ups get wrong when I'm sitting there going what's a ridiculous thing I can make someone say I've mentioned that to her it's like what's what's something ridiculous what's the most ridiculous thing you can think of because I'm sitting there going I've got you know tap dancing mayor of cheese town and <laughs> you know Dave the ninja and your your brain's just going oh yeah. well, I don't know what else is there. And then she said, um, so I said, what's the most ridiculous thing you can think of? And she went, um, I don't know, maybe a unicorn that has a horn made entirely out of eyebrows. And so I went, well, that's pretty ridiculous. And amazing. Oh, isn't it? And amazing that an adult brain may not have thought of. Yeah. And then, you know, and then I add the little bit afterwards of, well, that one was weird and also a little bit creepy too. Because <laughs> um, it's a, it's a it's quite a confronting image to have in your head. It certainly is. Um, and to get back to your other point before too about the the blending of the different uh, elements of my creativity. When I was first writing it, I had this thing of like, oh yeah, well, geez, how do I draw a, a unicorn with a horn made out of eyebrows? 
for going, oh, wait a minute. No, I'm not, I'm not drawing any of these things. That's the thing. It's just like, here's a cat, here's a puppy, here's a bird. Uh, and I'm endowing it with this ridiculous phrase, but you don't see any of it. So if anything, we can take this wherever. <laughs> so, yeah, she's very good at letting me know what's ridiculous. And without giving too much away, at the very, very end of the book, there is one last little punchline at the end, and that's hers as well. I had oh, a, I, I couldn't that. decide. It was just like one last, one last sort of swing at the end of the book, just when you think everything's going well you have the rug pulled out from under under you. And again, in that sort of comedy misdirect sort of way without wanting to give too much away. And in my head, I'm like, well, this has got to, we got to have something. We need something here that needs to be, and it's the last thing that is said at the end of the book. So it needs to be good. And I had a, just a list of weird comments, phrases, ideas, and I couldn't decide. So I'm sitting there writing this huge list out. And she said, she asked what I was doing and I explained to her what it was. And she said, well, it, it could be this, this, this. And she rattled off a couple of other ones. And I was like, sure, well, let's put them on the list. Why not? And then I sent them to my publisher and I said, look, I can't decide on which one of these I think works best. So um, here's just a short list. And you tell me which one you think is is the best one to close with. And apparently it was it went around the office and the one that they chose is one of hers. <laughs> brilliant. So They're like, great. The book cool. Grown-ups well, get wrong, written by Rovan Ruby. And in brackets and Ruby, yes. <laughs> so there are times gold. where she because she's quite a, a prolific writer. And there are times where she said, like, could I write a book? I'm like, mate, you've written half of mine. What are you talking about? <laughs> I love that. I have a nine and a 10 year old. Whenever I'm writing my picture books, they're like, you know, they tell me if it sucks. They tell me if it's good. They are great yardsticks. So when they grow up, we're going to have to find some more young kids to, you know, tell me what's, what's great. And yeah. What sucks. And that's the thing I've got now. I think that's probably why she's asking more about the Rocky Lobster series. Cause that was more for mm-hmm. old readers. But um, so the ones I'm writing now uh, were great when she was five, uh, but now she's, She's older um, and a lot more voracious a reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, she turns through something like this, and and it's it's not quite uh, enough for her anymore. She, God love her. She'll she's she'll read it every night anyway, but <laughs> she gets through it, and then you know is wanting something else that has a bit more meat on the bone. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I can see how my thought process now is like, okay, now that she's older, how could I write something for that older? Mm-hmm audience um now that i i seem to be in that world a bit more yeah but it's really cool being able to bring your own child into that creative space as well because it sounds like she's going to be quite creative too so it's a really cool activity you can do together without being forced to go outside all the time right yeah (laughs) so she'll do all the writing and then i can just do the drawings that's that'll be oh this is a collab that i (laughs) cannot wait to see that'll be fabulous well Well, that's the other thing she's also yeah i'll I'll come clean she's also done illustrations as well she'll push you out of the picture completely uh there is uh and she, w- I'm trying to think how old she would have been at the time. Uh, probably, probably was about five or so when uh, I was working on the first Rocky Lobster book and I was doing the illustration. There's like, oh, it's nearly 200, 300 illustrations for, for a book wow. like that. So it was a lot of work over the summer holidays. Mm. So whenever I could, I would just be sitting down. Um, I use an iPad for it now. Um, I've learned the hard way 
through doing disgusting McGross face as a pencil on paper and then ink, (laughs) uh, which is kind of all I knew. And then one of the first notes back was, hey, this idea of he licks the mud off his feet while eating a bowl of worms, could you do those as two separate ideas? So he licks the mud off his feet is one gross thing and then the worms is another. So this I, that that one illustration, could you make it, could you separate it into two different ones? And I went, oh, okay, that's going to require doing two whole new drawings. Um, and that actually took me a, a, a bit longer to do, obviously, and trying to redo over a, a drawing mm. that I had done initially. They said, oh, just lose the worms on the side. And I'm like, yeah. well, I can't because I can't erase ink. <laughs> And that's when I realized, oh, maybe I should be doing this on a on an iPad. Mm. So yes, that's that's how I was doing it for Rocky Lobster. So yeah, so there I was drawing away over the holidays. And so she kept looking over my shoulder, who's this character? What's going on? And then next thing I knew, she had gone and drawn a, a pencil sketch off of uh Rocky. And it's a beautiful little, you know, five-year-old kid's scribbly drawing of it. And she said to me, Oh, could this go into the book? And I said, well, maybe, let's see. Well, well, you know, don't know, don't know, and I'll try. And and then there was one scene I had to draw, which is the interior of Rocky's room. He lives in a, you know, he's a part of a travelling show. He's got a caravan that he lives in. And so I had to do a, a, a drawing of inside of his his room. And I thought, oh, he needs some drawings on the wall. And I went, oh, well, I'll, I'll make one of them. It's a poster, but the poster is her drawing like it's fan art that somebody sent him because he's quite a famous performer and so her illustration is also part of that book which is also just a really nice moment to have uh, you know as a as a family to get Mm. to share you know down down the track for her when she grows up to go hey you know my dad wrote this book and I did that drawing in there so yeah so she's um already in training for what could be my retirement plan so (laughs) I love that well the collaboration first I think and then she'll she'll push you out of the picture completely I think yes absolutely (laughs) that sounds amazing I have loved your insights and I'm actually going to go back and read the picture book and the lobster book now because now I've got all these different insights I need to find that picture that your daughter drew yes (laughs) the book one see if you can find it and without giving too much away there is an actual illustration I have done of her in in book two. Oh, fantastic all those little secrets that I'm finding yeah there's out. a lot of there's a lot of little easter eggs that i enjoyed doing yeah. with, in the first disgusting but gross face book when you're looking down the corridor and seeing muddy footprints there's a a ball uh there's a like there's toys strewn everywhere so there's like a, a rubber ball and a cricket bat and there's also a stuffed rocky lobster toy um and uh um, yeah, and a couple of other characters that may yet crop up in books I haven't done yet, but I, Ooh, I, have, I love this planning the scene. I, I have put them out there, and yes, there's <laughs> definitely a drawing of of Ruby in in one of them somewhere. Oh, that's gorgeous. I love it. I love all of it. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time, Rove. It's been so amazing to talk to you. You know, just about like you said, you don't get a lot of time and space to talk about just the books and the illustratings, and I love hearing about processes and how they feed into each other, all your creativity, and then your stand up comedian you know skills into picture books I find it absolutely fascinating so um, thank you so much for being so generous um, with your time and your insights well thank you very much for having me